0: Hello friends, it's Bill Allen coming to you again from my office, live uh, from Tyler, Texas, where it's kind of muggy, a little hot. Uh, Not as hot as it's going to be, but pretty warm still. And I just wanted to say hello. Thanks for joining me on this uh, second Acts study. We'll be in Acts chapter 2. And I hope you were able to join me in the first uh, study that we had this past uh, Tuesday and that is, a, uh, uh, that is a great study from uh, Acts chapter 1, and we did a little bit of introductory stuff. And so I'm going to try not to uh, uh, o- go over all of that stuff again, but just want you to know that if you're interested in taking a look at that, then please feel free uh, to do so. Uh, glad to have Debbie watching us again, and Lenny and Joe, and my friends Eric and Cindy. It's wonderful to see y'all. We'll have some more uh, joining in and hopefully they'll be able to sign on and say hello without uh, any trouble and that'll be uh, that'll be really good we continue to be prayerful and mindful of our nation's difficulties that are happening right now and uh, we just pray that God will do great things through all of the uh, difficulties and uh, uh, through the, uh, the racial issues that we're facing still uh, through the uh, covid nineteen difficulties that we're uh, still working through and facing, and we uh, and all the other stuff uh, that uh, goes on uh, in some ways because of those things and uh, and because of other things uh, as well, so we are prayerful we're mindful that God is at work, and we ask that he would uh, continue to be a presence with us and and bless us. Uh, Nice to see Linda Riddell here. Linda and Stan are very good friends and dear friends uh, from back in the day and really appreciate y'all tagging along with us in this study. Uh, Lots of others will join in as well. And uh, I know you uh, may or may not be able to see it, but in in the far corner underneath those diplomas from Abilene Christian and Oklahoma Christian, there is a old, old picture of Bill and Joyce in eighth grade. That's our eighth grade uh, band picture that was taken while I had a cast on my leg, uh, and we were in the stands at our Dwight Junior High School uh, stadium, if you call it a stadium, more of a field, and uh, with some bleachers. And it was um, uh, that was a that was a long time ago. Let's see, that would have been sixty nine seventy. I always have to do this seventy seventy one. That would have been our nineteen seventy nineteen seventy one. Eighth grade year at South San Antonio uh, at Dwight Junior High School in South San Antonio uh, District. You can scroll down and see a few of our pictures from high school days because this past June the 2nd was the 45th anniversary of our high school graduation from South San Antonio High School. And I know that you all wanted to know that. So I hope that you'll scroll down and take a look at those pictures. See Bill with hair. Uh, See Joyce looking almost exactly the way she looks right now. It's just incredible. The best pictures I take are the ones with her in them. So, okay, enough of all of that fun stuff. Let's get into the book of Acts and just a little bit of a review. Um, As you know, if you were here with us on Tuesday, my favorite uh, title for the book of Acts is Acts of the Holy Spirit and the Church. I think that uh, that describes it pretty well because the Holy Spirit is at work throughout the book of Acts. And, uh, and of course, the church is at work throughout the book of Acts. It's a human institution, uh, but it's a human institution guided by the Lord. And we see the Holy Spirit very active in the life uh, of Jesus and very active in the life of the early church. Um, it's amazing to think of the presence of God among us. And uh, that presence of God was seen in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, And uh, as as he said, even while he was here, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, in response to Philip's question and request to show us the Father uh, in John 14. And then when Jesus was talking to them, he said, look, I'm gonna be going away, but I want you to know it's good for you that I do because I will send another comforter, another helper, another advocate that would be my presence with you and that's what the Holy Spirit is. And in Acts chapter 2, we get to actually read about that event uh, happening. And so it's a, it's a great, uh, great thing. As we looked at Acts chapter 1 uh, last, uh, last time, it was a, a great study as well. But in that study, uh, the disciples were waiting. And as they were waiting, they were praying. Jesus ascended uh, in the first several verses after he gave them their marching orders, our marching orders, In Acts 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses uh, in uh, Jerusalem, in the city where he had died, where he had been buried, and where he had been raised, and where uh, the claims had first gone out that, hey, Jesus is still alive. And then, as we continued on, uh, he, uh, uh, he promised that Holy Spirit would be given, but in the meantime, he said, before I leave, I'm giving you your mission in Acts 1, verse 8 you'll be my witnesses you'll tell people of of what i have meant to you and what you have seen what you have heard uh, by your relationship with me Uh, in jerusalem and then in judea and samaria the surrounding areas we see that beginning in acts chapter 8 and then to the very end of the world and so that's uh that's that chapter one and then they replaced judas with matthias still leaning on the holy spirit to guide them into selecting the right person and that was matthias who had been with them from the beginning and had seen the resurrected Lord, uh, just like the other apostles had. And so that was uh, the important part of, of what was going on in Acts chapter 1, and that gets us to Acts uh, chapter 2. And as we, uh, you know, as we think about that call to be witnesses, we have to ask ourselves, that's a little scary, isn't it? I mean, we, we, sometimes I talk about evangelism as the E word <laughs> because we're so scared of it, and we don't have to be. The book of Acts tells us how to do that. It tells us just to be witnesses, just to tell other people of what what Jesus has meant to you and how you became a Christian and how Jesus has been a real presence and a comfort uh, and a guide for you in your life. Yes, turn to the p- passages of Scripture. That's the only inspired word that tells us how that's, uh, how that happens. And we start with the first one of those in Acts chapter 2. Um, but remember to tell your story along with the story. Um, and that's what Paul the Apostle does. Luke records the narrative of his conversion in Acts chapter 9 when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and then was blinded for three days and three nights, led into the city and uh, was spent that time praying and fasting, certainly penitent. But then Ananias, a Christian man called by God, came to see him and talked to him about what God had in store for him. And Ananias tells him to get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And, um, and, and Saul of Tarsus, uh, as Luke records in Acts 9, does that. And then in Acts 22 and in Acts 26, in Paul's own words, Luke records that story as he speaks autobiographically about his life and where it had been, and then that road to Damascus experience, and then his conversion and baptism into Christ. In, um, uh, in, in the city of Damascus, and then right away, beginning to uh, serve the Lord and the church and to preach the gospel. Uh, and so lots of great, great stories in the book of Acts, and, and, and Paul tells these stories by telling his story. In 1 Timothy 1, he called himself the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, because of all the horrible things that he had done. And he says, but God did that on purpose, so that if, if he could save me, you would know that God could save you too. And if God can forgive me, a blasphemer and a a person who was critical of the church and tried to uh, have them imprisoned and jailed and and destroy the church. And yet God was able to save me through the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. And it was a great, uh, a great, great thing that God did. And so that helps us to understand that the book of Acts is written for us um, and to us and so that's going to be a great, uh, great blessing. As we're continuing on now and getting ready to open up the book of Acts in chapter 2 and read this great chapter, uh, hello to my uh, brother and co-minister, Davy Carter, uh, our cousins, uh, uh, Gail Addison, uh, and Keith Allen, and all of my wonderful family in Southeast Texas. I love you all so much and look forward to seeing you again sometime, and uh, others that have joined us, Doug Sifford, my friend from Oklahoma Christian Days, and and many others will join us live, but also we'll be able to watch. Remember, you can watch these on my Facebook page or on our church Facebook page uh, after they've been posted when we're done. And then you can watch them also on our West Irwin uh, uh, Church of Christ uh, website at West Irwin, West W-E-S-T-E-R-W-I-N, named for the street that we've been on for since a- 1885. Uh, and um, westirwin.org.com, westirwin.com is the website. Go to the social media, uh, scroll over that, and then click on the link uh, to live stream, and then go down to archives, and you'll see all of our lessons, all of my lessons, uh, my devotional messages that we've been doing since we've been sheltering at home uh, and still going to be doing these lessons uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m., Uh, through the summer. So with all of that, let's talk about Acts. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we're acting with the Spirit, and then we're responding to the Spirit, and then we talk about the fellowship of the Spirit. And that all begins uh, by acting with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and it is an extraordinary event, uh, one of only two like it in all of history, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. And remember, they were all together. This is a group uh, that is uh, referred to at the end of chapter 1, beginning with the apostles, the recently added Matthias, and then the other disciples uh, who were gathering together and who were praying. Suddenly, verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, um, the modern-day Turkey on the western part of modern-day Turkey, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, or people from Crete, and Arabs, uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. <laughs> well, Peter is going to take the lead as Luke records. I think all of the apostles were preaching uh, because it was a large crowd. And as we'll see in just a few moments, 3,000 were baptized because of these events and the preaching that day. But for the moment, they just see this incredible, incredible experience. And yes, I believe that these miraculous gifts and these tongues of fire and the, this indescribable way of picking up a language uh, miraculously, speaking in another language, that's what it means to speak in another tongue, uh, speaking in another language where all of these people were able to understand them in their native language. And yet these were men from Galilee, that northern region of uh, Palestine where Jesus had spent so much of his time in ministry. And, uh, and where most of those were from and, and yet they heard them speaking in these other languages that they knew they didn't know this morning and now they do and now they know them and if you uh, click on something that perhaps in your study bible or, or in a good bible encyclopedia or bible dictionary you may find an article that talks about where all of these people were from and uh, it goes all the way up from Jerusalem uh, to, uh, to Rome Uh, because it says that there were some from Rome, converts to Judaism and Jews by birth. Uh, Also to Crete, south of Greece and uh, the northern coast of Africa. It was quite an extensive group that was there. A lot of the areas where uh, Paul and Barnabas and later Paul and Silas would go on their mission journeys uh, were represented here in um, modern-day Turkey, uh, in that western province of Asia and in the regions between uh, Palestine and, uh, and the Mediterranean Sea. So a pretty interesting experience as, um, as we see this, this incredible um, incredible beginning. And as, as they begin, they hear this message being spoken in, in other languages, and they don't know what to do with that. Uh, they don't know what to do with that, because these were, these were not learned men. Uh, and I, I can vouch, I can tell you, I've tried to learn Spanish every year, almost all of my life, and I'm still working on it and it hasn't progressed very well. Uh, but I can, I can tell you that it's hard to learn a language. It's hard. It's hard to learn how to play a musical instrument. It's hard to learn a different language than your native language. And as you get older, it gets tougher. And yet these men, they were able to do this right away. It was amazing. Uh, it was an amazing gift. And they saw these tongues that were kind of separated that were fiery tongues. And, and re- remember, Jesus had told them that I, you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and to wait in the city of Jerusalem until uh, the Spirit comes and until you are clothed with power from on high. And that's exactly now what has happened. And the people don't know what to do with it. <laughs> They're thinking, what? what in the world? Um, this is something extraordinary. This is one of those things that we haven't seen before. And so they say, well, maybe they're just drunk, which is incredible for a lot of reasons. But the main one is that's, that's not what happens when you're drunk. You, you, don't, you don't speak a new language uh, well because you've had too much to drink. Um, and so that's unreasonable uh, to believe that. And so they continue on. And, um, and Peter begins, um, Peter begins by talking to them about what really um, is, is, is going on here and what really this means. Um, then Peter stood up with the 11, the apostles were the ones who were, who were speaking. Verse 14, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And remember, these are all Jews. These are all Jews. They were gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. They stuck around for another couple of months for the uh, next Greek, uh, Jewish festival of Pentecost, named that way for being 50 days after Passover. And so here we are. And Jesus had been raised from the dead after the, on the third day after he had been killed and buried. And he appeared to many, and we talked about that some at the end of Matthew and in our study last week in Matthew chapter 28. And so Jesus is, is, uh, is, is now ascended. After, after several weeks of appearances, um, uh, Jesus now uh, goes up to see uh, back up to the throne room of the Father. And so now we have uh, this time where um, uh, the church is about to begin and Jesus has been gone for several days, and the disciples, now the apostles, have received this miraculous gift. But remember, all of this is happening in the same city, same city of Jerusalem, same city where Jesus had been killed, same city where Jesus had been buried, same city where it first was told that he had been raised from the dead. They hadn't gone anywhere. They had stayed right there, they were waiting, but as Jesus had told them to do before he ascended. They had been waiting, they had been praying, and, uh, and now the Spirit uh, had come. And so Peter announces to them, look, these, this is, we're all right here. We're all right here. Uh, these people, verse 15, are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And their, their alcoholic beverages were not quite as strong, I think, as some of ours. Uh, but be that as it may, it's early morning. And, um, and Peter says, look, it's, it's too soon for that. That's, that's not what's going on here. And of course he could have gone on and said, uh, typically people don't learn a new language simply because they've had too much to drink. Um, and so he goes on and he tells them about fulfilled prophecy. And he says this, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel chapter two is what he's about to quote. Joel is an Old Testament prophet, uh, not one of the major prophets. And we only call them major because they're longer and they were wordier. Uh, But uh, Joel is one of what we call the minor prophets, but just as important. And uh, and his words, I wonder if they were all wondering when this would happen, when this would be fulfilled, what exactly this would look like. Peter tells them this is what Joel said. Uh, Acts 2 verse 16, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days... Will be saved. Well, the amazing thing to me is that Peter says this is beginning to be fulfilled right in front of you. This is what Joel had talked about, this thing that you see going on before you right now. Uh, It's the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 coming to life, coming uh, to pass. And so he says some incredible things here, with the beginning being the first statement in the last days. Other passages of Scripture in the New Testament uh, tell us that we are already in the last days. People see the trouble all around us right now, and and they ask me, Bill, do you think this means that it's the last days? And I'm saying, thinking, well, yeah, it is the last days, but not because of all of these things. All of these things have been happening on and off through every generation. Uh, it's not like our generation is the first to have difficulty or to have uh, uprisings or to have crime or to have... Uh, dictators. Uh, we've seen generations in the last 2,000 years that have seen far, far, far worse uh, than what we have. I don't believe I would trade our times for any time in the last 2,000 years. Uh, and so I don't. I don't think that's the the key there. But you think about the last days, and you hear Paul warning Timothy in First and Second Timothy. Look, in those last days, people are gonna—they're gonna be lovers of themselves. They're gonna be—they're um, gonna be acting outside of the Word of God. And, and what he tells Timothy is, don't have anything to do with them. There were people like that right around Timothy already, uh, two thousand years ago, and and now as Peter preaches this first gospel sermon, he quotes Joel. And Joel has a passage of Scripture that prophesies about some things that are going to be happening in the last days. And so we're there. We're there. Are are they going to end soon? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Are they going to go on another 2,000 years? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Remember what the lesson, if you need to look at it again, go back and look at the Matthew lesson from chapter 24 and chapter 25. Jesus clearly says, stop asking when, stop asking when. The disciples asked that question in Acts chapter one, are you gonna restore the kingdom at this time? Or are you gonna take back the power? And, and uh, Jesus says, wrong questions, don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that, you just be my witnesses. And that's what he's telling us today too. Don't get caught up in the, in the times and the winds and all of those things. He says in Matthew 24, there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars, there's gonna be earthquakes, there's gonna be lots of stuff happening. But the important thing for you is to do my will. The important thing for you is to spread my message. And that's what we all need to be doing and focused on right now. Uh, granted, we continue to be prayerful for our world and try to help where we can and, and be um, uh, being agents of positive change. And, and so we're forever prayerful for our world. We're, forever, we're prayerful for our leaders. We're prayerful for those who... Are in special need in our in our society and who don't have the power and and who don't have the economics or the health and and uh, and we pray for our law enforcement and we pray for our military and we pray for our health care workers and we pray for our churches and our church leaders um, because what Paul says in 1st Timothy 2 is pray for them so that we can have an opportunity to spread the message of God well, in the first century, in these decades that the book of Acts talks about, it, it got really hard really fast, and we're going to see the persecution begin in Acts chapters uh, 3 and 4 and 5, um, and still the church grew, still the church grew. Um, and so Peter, uh, Peter says, in the last days, Acts 2 verse 16, spoken by the prophet Joel, God says, I will pour out my spirit And he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit and all of my people are going to get it. Sons and daughters, young men, old men, everyone. And we're going to see that fulfilled in just a little bit in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 38 and following as they respond to the invitation uh, of the Lord. I think what he's talking about there is not this miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit because scripture elsewhere tells us that that's not what he's talking about. But what he is talking about is what he promised his disciples that that coming presence of his, that comforter. And we'll say more about that um, in just a little bit. Um, And so he says in verse 19, "'I will show wonders in the heavens above "'and signs on the earth below, "'blood and fire and billows of smoke. "'The sun will be turned to darkness "'and the moon to blood "'before the coming of the great "'and glorious day of the Lord.'" And somewhere I hear Bill Murray in Ghostbusters quoting about these kinds of things: "Sun to darkness, moon to blood," kind of stuff. <laughs> well, it's interesting to me that what Joel prophesied and what Peter says is is going on right then. This is an extraordinary event, and we have to remember that those words, that language, is apocalyptic language. It's a kind of language that passages in Daniel are in. It's a kind of passage uh, of of language and genre. Of literature that the book of Revelation is in. If you're looking for the sun to be turned actual blood and the moon to go actually dark, well, unless you're looking at severe clouds or uh, uh, eclipse of some sort, it, it, it's not going to happen. What is Peter saying then? Well, he's saying there's going to be something extraordinary go on. It's not going to be like anything that you typically see. And that's what he's talking about here. How do you know that, Bill? Because he says this is being fulfilled. These are the last days now. It's now spoken of in the present. Joel is talking about this, and it's being fulfilled right in front of your eyes. Well, what's so extraordinary about this? Well, it is the end of Judaism and Jews as the people of God and the beginning of the church. For a while, uh, it is composed only of Jews, and so the church is uh, considered a Jewish sect Uh, And all of the Christians come from a Jewish heritage and background. Um, But when we get to Acts chapter 10, that changes. And it's a difficult transition. And it requires another extraordinary pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And it's only those two times that we see something like this. Here in Acts 2, at the beginning, the very beginning of the church. And then in Acts chapter 10, when non-Jews, non-descendants of Abraham, for the first time, are accepted into the church and Cornelius and his family uh, are baptized. And won't that be an incredible, incredible uh, lesson. Sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then verse 21, And everyone who calls on on the name of the Lord will be saved. They don't get that full impact just yet because they're still thinking that by everyone they means Jews, all the Jews. But as we're going to see throughout the book of acts once we get to chapter 10 it is jew and non-jew and it'll be another moment of extraordinary uh, extraordinary power and so then we continue on in acts chapter 2 beginning at verse 22 and now peter's going to go to preaching he said okay what you're seeing right now this extraordinary miracle and event of these uh, apostles speaking in other languages uh, this giving of the holy spirit in an extraordinary way this is to fulfill what Joel 2 would, would happen. It's the beginning of that fulfillment. And, and now he's going to start preaching and telling them the story. And what Peter does here becomes a pattern of those early uh, sermons as he's speaking primarily to Jews. Early in Paul's ministry, he'll be doing the same kind of preaching as we see in his first mission journey in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Verse 22 of Acts 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And again, the first century Christians were able to say, hey, look, you you know this story. Even, Even when Peter talks to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he says, look, you know the stories about Jesus. This is not something that was hidden This is not something that was secret. This was something that was done in front of everybody. And when he was raised from the, when he was killed on the cross, everyone saw it. And everyone heard about it. And when he was raised from the grave, everyone heard about that too. And if they wanted to disprove it, it would have been very easy because it had just been a few days since he had been buried. The Roman seal was on his tomb. Guards and extra guards were there stationed and yet, when the stories came out that he had been raised from the dead, no one went back to the tomb. No one presented the body. All they had was this, this crazy story that uh, these weak apostles came and overpowered these extra-Roman armed guards whose lives depended on carrying out their mission, rolled the stone away, broke the emperor's seal, and stole the body of Jesus. Right. Right. Yeah, I've got some coastal property here in Tyler that's right next to uh, the Pacific Ocean that I'd love to sell you if you're going to go for that one. They say that to believe in the resurrection takes faith. Well, I think to not believe it takes faith also. But the faith that we have that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus is a credible faith. I said more about that in that Matthew 28 sermon, so I'll try not to preach that one again, although I really want to. Can you tell? Um, And so we continue on. All those wonders and signs, the purpose for them is to establish that this is from God. That's what it's always about. Um, Verse 23 of Acts 2, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, talking about the Romans, he's talking to Jews, remember, with the help of wicked men, Pilate and the other uh, Roman guards and soldiers, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David, verse 25, said about him, "'I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken.' Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead or the grave or Hades. You will not let your Holy One see decay, the natural uh, thing that happens to a physical body unless it, it does, no longer remains uh, in, the, in the grave. Um, verse 28 uh, You have made known to me the paths of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Um, And so Peter is going to apply that in just a minute and explain it and say, David's not talking about himself because he's still buried. He's still dead and buried. Jesus, however, the tomb is empty. So as Peter talks about these things, he quotes. He quotes uh, from the Psalms, from Psalm 16 and from Psalm 110. uh, Psalms that that the Jews recognized meant something more than just what they meant in that day. Um and so he talks about Jesus in these ways of being alive and the fulfillment of this prophecy his body would not be abandoned he would not be left in the grave Jesus himself said when he was here alive and ministering he said look destroy this temple this body and in 3 days I will raise it again he constantly told his disciples son of man is going to be betrayed he's going to be delivered into the hands of the Jews and the Romans he will be crucified, and on the third day, he will rise again. And, and yet when it happened, they were surprised, and they still didn't get it, and now they have the Holy Spirit, and now they're able to put everything together, and now they have the courage and the strength and the opportunity uh, to share that message uh, with others. Still very dangerous, because the people he's talking to are the people who were there when Jesus was crucified. Some of the religious leaders, I'm sure, are hearing exactly what's going on and are listening to this. And later on, we're gonna read in Acts 3 and 4 that they got it. They recognized that these men uh, had been with Jesus as they questioned them and begin to persecute them um, and threaten them in Acts 3, 4, and 5. Uh, the body was not abandoned. The psalmist had said it would not be abandoned and he would be filled with joy in his presence. We're reminded of that, that very difficult Uh, and telling passage of scripture in Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant, the suffering of the Savior and the Messiah. Uh, Not a king who comes in and slays all his enemies, but rather uh, the one who is slain, Uh, the Lamb of God, the beautiful words in Revelation, I saw the Lamb of God looking as if he had been slain. Uh, And that is how he saved us from our sins, by giving his life on the cross. That's what Peter is telling them all. Uh, now. And so now he's going to apply it, and now he's going to uh, help them to understand what all this means. In Acts 2, beginning in verse 29, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. He's not talking about himself, in other words. Verse 30, but he was a prophet And knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And that's why Matthew establishes and Luke establishes that Jesus uh, goes back in royal blood uh, through King David uh, all the way back uh, to Abraham. Uh, Verse 31, "...seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay." He was only there for three days. God has raised this Jesus to life, verse 32, and we are all witnesses of it. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, the apostle, makes that huge important step and statement that he died, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared to people. There are witnesses. There are people who will say, I saw him dead, and then I saw him alive. We are witnesses of it. Peter says, Uh, Right there, just less than two months after all of these events happened in the city where all of this is taking place, the city of Jerusalem. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That's what's going on, he says. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, Jesus had used this passage from Psalm 110, this messianic uh, uh, a psalm that talks about the Savior. Um, and uh, even though he was much younger and would come far after uh, King David, David called him Lord. Um, a great, great passage. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Again, this becomes the outline, Jesus, you killed him, God raised him, and now uh, he has appointed him and, and put him in the position of of the Lord of Lords, and he has uh, ascended in uh, to heaven. We see this incredible gift of the spirit given in Acts chapter two and in Acts chapter 10. And here we find, uh, Peter using that moment to preach the gospel for the first time. Luke had said at the end of his gospel in Luke 24, stay in the city, uh, until you're given power from on high and then repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of Jesus. Um, and then this powerful statement and, and assertion in Acts 2, verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel know this for sure. God has made uh, this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Uh, you guys you guys, messed up big time, and we all did. But you especially did because you're the ones that were actively involved in putting him to death. You're the ones, perhaps some of them there, who shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify um, it's, it's, it, can you imagine hearing these words and remembering uh, where you were that day and what was going on in your mind? Uh, Peter condemns them, and he, he, uh, he states unequivocally that this one that they crucified is the Son of God and that God has made him uh, the Lord in Christ. Paul says in Romans 1 that he was declared with power to be the Son of God through the resurrection of of the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think Peter is wanting to keep on preaching, but just like what happens in Acts 10 with Cornelius, he gets interrupted, I think. And so we go from acting with the Spirit to responding with the Spirit and responding to the Spirit. In Acts 2, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That is the right question. That is exactly the right question. When you are convicted that this is what has happened, that Jesus is who he says he is, he's the son of God, that he has been raised from the dead, and that I am a sinner, the right question is, what do we do? And there's an answer to that question, and it's asked and answered several times throughout the book of Acts. Uh, it, and if the answer to that question is, there's, you, you don't have to do anything. His death, burial, and resurrection saves everybody no matter what. You can spit in his face, you can say he never lived, he never died, he was never raised, but the blood of Jesus cleanses you from your sin. That's the doctrine of universalism, which says Jesus died on the cross to save all of everybody who ever lived, no matter what. Well, if that's not true, then there is an answer to their question, which is, what do we do? What do we do? Now, whatever that response is, it doesn't earn them salvation. They don't deserve the gift that's been given. But there is a response of faith. There is a response of faith. And so we look at Peter's answer in verse 38 of Acts 2. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So here's how this goes. Peter and the others shared the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, how there were witnesses that saw that and, and testified to it. And the people are convicted. They, they, they believe. They say, you know, you're right. You're right. What do I do? Well, Peter doesn't tell them to believe. They already believe. It says that they were cut to their heart. Uh, And so they were convicted. They, They didn't have to be told to believe. They believed. They were right there. They saw all these things happen. And they saw the things that were going on that day, that Sunday on the day of Pentecost. And they were believers. But that's it. And so Peter responds to them in verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the same answer today. When people ask, okay, I believe that all of this happened, what do I do? We tell them to repent. That word simply means to change. Change the path you're on. You're not gonna live perfectly from here on out, but you can live faithfully. But you must live in a, with a desire to, to follow Christ. Uh, you must live on that narrow path, as Jesus described it, as we read uh, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew. Uh, we must be ones who are willing to do the will of the Father, as he said in that same chapter 7 of Matthew. Um, Peter tells them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, they had come to believe. They needed to change their life. Uh, other passages of Scripture that answer this question remind us that we, we confess that faith so that others around us uh, will know that this is something I'm doing genuinely. It's something that's going on inside of me. It's not just a, a, a getting wet. It's not just a taking a bath, as, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, but it's based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is the desire uh, to be right with God. He says at the end of one peter chapter three and and so there is an answer to their question what must i do Uh, we're going to see the same answers given throughout this study throughout the book of acts Uh, we'll see it time and time again and and peter tells them to repent to change your life to be baptized in the name of jesus christ their baptism is based on their belief and it's based on their repentance and so i think scripture in every case talks about baptism from the perspective of a person who knows what they're doing, uh, not a child, not an infant, not someone who doesn't understand, but, a, but someone who's come to believe, someone who has made the decision that they will turn away from their life of sin, someone who is ready to commit their lives to, to Christ, and it's no small thing. Jesus himself said, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after me if you want to be my disciple. It's a big deal. Uh, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins, and were that not the case, then none of us could be saved. But because that happened, because he shed his blood, now there is an answer to the question, what must we do to be saved? Here in Acts 2 verse 38, Peter tells them that it is uh, by responding in that faith uh, and repentance uh, and changing your life and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, Later, Paul, after those three days when he was uh, praying and fasting, as uh, Luke describes in Acts chapter 9, having seen the Lord on the road to Damascus and been blinded because of it, uh, Ananias comes to him three days later after he had been praying and fasting and gives him his sight back. And then Acts 22 verse 16 tells him, and now Saul, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. He still hadn't had his sins washed away. He was called to do that. It didn't earn his salvation. It didn't deserve his salvation. And it was no more a work than the act of believing is a work. But again, we're faced with two options. Either universalism is true and the blood of Jesus washes away everyone's sin, no matter whether they believe or not. Um, or, Or there is an answer to that question what must I do to be saved? brothers, what shall we do? They ask the apostles in Acts chapter 2. And there is a response. There is an answer to that question. And, and Peter tells them, you've come to believe already. Now it's time to repent, to decide, I'm not going to live like this anymore, um, and to be baptized. And to wash your sins away because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he tells him, look, this promise is for everybody. He doesn't quite get that completely yet, but it is. Uh, he'll understand it a little bit more later and then he'll still have trouble getting it just like the rest of, of the, uh, the first century church will. And it'll be something that will come up time and time again, just like we have problems and issues with racism and with difficulties accepting people that are different than we are. Um, they did in the first century too, and the first big uh, potential division and split is uh, has that going in Acts chapter six. The first big conference that they call about is to ask that question: Do we need to make these non-Jews Jews, and ask them to become Jews and to follow the law in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian, in order to be a disciple of Christ? Um, so we we get it. We understand. And we're going to look at those issues and look at those uh, conflicts as we go through this study uh, this summer. Um, With many other words, they warn them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And this is the only way that can happen. This coming Sunday morning, I'll be preaching from that great passage in John 16, verse 33, where Jesus says before his crucifixion, I've told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. In the world, you're going to have trouble. And that should come as no surprise to us. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. Um, And so Peter says, now you can save yourself um, from the worldliness and sin and death. And you can, you'll still be in the world, you'll still have trouble. uh, But you'll also have peace because you'll have salvation. Uh, Those who accepted his message, verse 31, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so the church begins with a bang. 3,000 are baptized that one day, that first day, seeing this incredible thing, hearing this incredible message, um, 3,000 are baptized and they are receiving the Holy Spirit, just as Peter promised, that indwelling uh, gift of the Spirit. Later on in Acts chapter 8 and in Acts chapter 19, we're going to see passage that I think clearly teaches Um, that those miraculous gifts, other than this time in Acts chapter 10, are given when an apostle, not just any Christian, not just any disciple, but an apostle lays their hands on someone in Acts chapter 8, Uh, Philip is preaching and baptizing people, and then Peter and John, two apostles, come down from Jerusalem and put their hands on them, and they receive the Spirit, and it's clearly stated in Acts chapter 8. In Acts 19, Paul has some people baptized who only knew the baptism of John, hadn't heard of Jesus, and so he baptizes them, and then he places his hands on them as an apostle, and he gives them the ability uh, to do these miraculous gifts as well. Uh, That That seems to be what's happening, and we look historically, and there may be some times when people say, I saw a miracle happen, or this happened to me, and we don't have to prove or disprove those things. If it draws people closer to God, great. It's never gonna contradict this right here. And if it does, then it's to be rejected because it's from somewhere else. Um, and, and, And yet, whatever we hear today and whatever we see in history is nothing like what we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that went on in the day of Jesus. It's nothing like what we read about in the first century church in Acts and in the letters, the things that they were doing. Uh, There's no explanation for that. Uh, That was something unique, and it's something that we see in a great, great, incredible way. Okay, we've seen acting with the Spirit, uh, as the Spirit was given. Uh, We see responding to the Spirit, repenting and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, receiving the Holy Spirit. 3,000 did that, and the church is off and running. And now we see the fellowship of the Spirit. And this is this great passage in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, that describes this infant church in the city of Jerusalem and uh, what was go- would be going on in the days and weeks and months ahead. Acts 2, verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day... Verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were meeting every day and they were uh, having that incredible fellowship and common bond with each other, uh, hearing that gospel preached, sharing meals together, uh, great rejoicing, taking care of each other's needs. Uh, this is the church we're talking about, uh, not the state, not the government, although the state and the government can help, and we're glad for it uh, when it happens. But this is talking to the church, uh, to the very early church, and it's, uh, it's just an amazing story. That verse, verse 42, is very powerful. They devoted themselves they were devoted this wasn't just a passing thing it wasn't just something they did on sundays it wasn't just something that they did when they didn't have other things that were more pressing they devoted themselves to these things to the apostles teaching to their doctrine what we teach is important doctrine is important uh, and jesus showed us that we saw that throughout the book of matthew um, jesus taught about everything he taught about uh, the sanctity of marriage and maintaining that bond between a, a man and a woman and being faithful to each other uh, for life. He talked about not being materialistic and seeking first his kingdom and then knowing that God will take care of everything. He talked about being faithful even in the midst of persecution. Um, he, he told us in Matthew chapter 7 that not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Teaching and doctrine are important. They matter. It matters. And the disciples in the very from the very beginning knew that. And so they held on to that apostles' teaching that was now miraculously being given and would soon begin to be written down. And the church would uh, recognize that there were some of those things that were guided by the Holy Spirit and would acknowledge that. Uh, they didn't uh, announce that this is the Bible. Um, sorry, Dan Brown, that's not the way it happened. Um, uh, as the Da Vinci Code would have us believe. But what happened was the church recognized it and accepted it as, as apostolic authority. And, uh, and then over time, we saw that collection being gathered uh, together. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's that word koinonia. It's the same word that's translated communion uh, that we get the word communion from. In this case, it's that fellowship. It's that one another aspect of the church, to the breaking of bread, very probably, I think that means uh, the communion. Uh, Jesus had instituted it at the Last Supper. Now in the church, they are partaking of the Lord's Supper, as Paul would call it in 1 Corinthians 11, every first day of the week, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Um, That's how they did it in the first century. I think that's how we're supposed to do it today as well. And they devoted themselves to prayer, just as they had done from the beginning, as we saw in Acts chapter 1. And everyone was filled with awe at the miracles, but also at the fellowship. This church that was in love with the Lord, but also in love with each other. And as we'll see in the passages that come after this, uh, in love with their community. Uh, They served their community. They served them after they served the Lord or as they served the Lord. Um, and, and they loved the Lord first, but Jesus said the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And they took that seriously. And, uh, just as Jesus said in Matthew five, um, let your light shine among others so that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Peter would make the same statement in first Peter chapter two verses nine through 12 saying, let your light shine, let your, let your deeds and your works be seen by others, uh, so that they can be convicted. Uh, They broke bread every day. I think that's talking about sharing meals together. And for a good while, uh, the early church uh, partook of communion in the context of a common meal. Later, when there was difficulty because of that, as we read in 1 Corinthians 11, um, they stopped doing it that way. Uh, But here, they're, they're eating together. They're fellowshipping with each other every single day. They're praising God. They're enjoying the favor of all the people. Unfortunately, that would only last so long. And then just as they did with Jesus, the Jewish leaders would stir up people and would ultimately begin to persecute them. They threatened them after Peter and John heal a man uh, who, who had been lame from birth. And they call them in and question them, and they tell them, don't speak anymore in this name. And they say, well, you figure out what you've got to do. We've got to do the will of God. And then later, when they don't heed those threats, they begin the persecution and, um, and we see that in Acts chapters 3 and 4 uh, and 5. Um, we see the importance of the church from the very start. We, we're not meant to follow God on, on our own and by ourselves. Uh, the church begins in Acts chapter 2. And Jesus constantly had told his disciples to hang in there. And, and, and he gives us the spirit and he gives us this great gift of the church to encourage us and to help us to remain faithful. And that's the purpose of the assemblies, according to, Acts, uh, to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, I'd say the church started off with a bang. 3,000 that first day, and then every day, according to Acts 2, verse 47, uh, people being added to the church. How do they do that, Bill? The same way these first 3,000 did? The same way uh, Lydia would in Acts 16? The same way Cornelius and his family would in Acts 10? the same way Saul of Tarsus did in Acts 9, the same way the Philippian jailer would in Acts 16. How? By believing in Jesus Christ, by repenting, changing your life uh, to follow God and rather than self, uh, confessing that that is the truth, that's what you really want to do, and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receiving that indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 1 and in Second Corinthians 1, that earnest, that deposit of what's ahead of us, of what's to come, and it's that gift of the Spirit, and the gift of God's Word, and the gift of God's church um, that gives us the ability to make it through even the most difficult of times. Our task is to keep doing the same thing, to keep acting with the Spirit, to keep responding to the Spirit in the very same way that they did 2,000 years ago. And then to continue to serve in the Spirit, to continue the fellowship of the Spirit. And we call that the church. I hope and pray that you've done those very things and that you'll continue to do them. And if I can help in any way, if you have questions, if you have comments, feel free to use the comments. If you want to message me on Facebook, do it that way and we'll have a little one-on-one I would like nothing better uh, than to share more with you about this story. Uh, Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you for this world and all of its difficulties. We know, Father, that this is my Father's world and so we pray that you would uh, take care of it and we pray that you would use us to help and to care for this world. And Father, we are especially concerned with those who are lost. We're especially concerned that we ourselves would seek to come to know you, to respond to the Spirit, and then to live in the fellowship of the Spirit. Help us, Father, to do that, even though it'll be imperfectly. Help us to do that faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you next Tuesday at 4 p.m.